Hey everyone, welcome to Vibrant Visionaries. My name is Heidi Bennett, and this is the podcast where I talk with creative professionals about all sorts of projects, what their creative process is, and uh, whatever else we decide we think is interesting. <laughs> and on the topic of interviews, I got to interview a bunch of cool people from Fantastic Fest, a composer, some filmmakers, several women in filmmaking, and I look forward to sharing those episodes coming up in October and November. Stay connected with me on VibrantVisionaries.com and through my socials on Instagram, I'm at VibrantVisionaries, and on Twitter, I'm at VibrantVizCast. And this is our um, secondary series in the podcast where we discuss episodes of Parks and Recreation because, well, because it's the pandemic, because I wanted to talk with people about something I love and that they love and uh, shine a little light on the absurdity of um politics, dynamics between friends, all these kind of topics that come up in this show. So today is one of those episodes. My guest Elaine Best and I are discussing season two, episode nine called The Camel. And stay tuned to the end of this episode where I'll share what our next rewatch episode will be. All right, enjoy the show. So the city council has decided that the spirit of Pawnee should be changed to something just a little less horrifying. to the Parks and Recreation Rewatch on Vibrant Visionaries. My name is Heidi Bennett, and today we're going to be discussing Season 2, Episode 9, The Camel. And we're going to be talking with my buddy who she's been on the podcast before, but it's because I shared one of her awesome episodes of her podcast on Vibrant Visionaries. Her podcast is called Angus IT. And she is Elaine Best. Welcome, Elaine. Thank you so much, Heidi. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to talk with you. You actually helped me kind of figure out what I was doing with this whole rewatch a while back. Did a little coaching with me over the phone a little bit ago. So thanks for helping me. This project is oh yeah, is kind of big. <laughs> I I was so glad that you thought of this because I love Parks and Rec. Like I did the whole like when I first found it, I did like the huge binge, the gifts, like everything. So when you were like, oh, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'll have people react and talk to me. I was like, yes. And then I need to be on it, you know, if you want. <laughs> yeah, no, I love this so much. So yeah, let's get into it. And we'll talk a little bit more about your podcast later as we're wrapping up. But what did you think about the choice of the camel as an episode for us to talk about? I love this episode because it shows you a little bit of everybody's character. The camel is kind of the accumulation of what the Parks and Rec Department is. And I think it's also one of the sillier episodes that you see in, in the show because we are introduced to the rival of the sewage department. And oh, that yeah. alone. 
<laughs> that alone like automatically makes my life because the Parks and Rec department throughout this entire like series, they just have the weirdest enemies that don't make sense. Like they hate the sewage department. They hate the library. Like it just, right. <laughs> it's just like how they roll. So for me, this episode has a little bit of everything that makes Parks and Rec Parks and Rec. Yeah, totally. And and in fact, it's touching back again on a, a one of the more uncomfortable themes, which is their incredibly insensitive and racist murals. <laughs> and we get a little preview. We get a viewing of a mural right away. This is one that they're saying they want to have a, a new mural painted over it. And, and I'm not going to really describe the characters in it, but they're horrible caricatures of different races. And it's quite hideous. <laughs> it's it, a lot. And that's our A plot, I guess, is that the, the gang is going to work together on their on their pitch for the new mural. And then we get this fun little B plot, <laughs> which is <laughs> Andy is the shoeshine guy now. And Ron is uh, impressed with Andy's, you know, hardworking bootstrapping ability here, even though I don't really know why he's all that impressed because he was just handed this job. It's not like he really bootstrapped anything. Somebody else already made this job and then he just kind of got plopped into it. But I wonder if that's a statement kind of about how government jobs kind of work. So my dad works in the mm -hmm. government and there really is mm -hmm. just a lot of like, like the Ron Swanson I philosophy of if I don't do anything, no one will notice or care. And, you know, he's trying to use that just to like take down the government. But like, it, that's there's a lot of that. Like, it's just you end up in a position and then you just kind of hang out there. So I feel like Andy stumbling into this job, even though it's not technically a government position, but he's working, you know, for the city in their building. It just cracks me up. And to me, it's just kind of another jab at like, look how dysfunctional even local government can be. Uh, and especially, you know, people who are trying to care, it just tends to they have a little bit of an upward battle. So I I love the B plot in this episode so much. This like Ron Swanson moment that mm -hmm. Andy has with him during the shoe shine. It might be one of my favorite moments of the entire series. Do you have a key in your shoe? No, no, I have a bunion that's practically its own toe. Normally the pain howls through my loafers like a banshee on the moors, but these past three minutes, it's been reduced to a faint growl. Oh, okay. That's neat. Yeah, I think when I first watched this episode, I didn't really, maybe I was a little distracted that day or something. And I thought at first that when, you know, Ron comes to get his shoe shine and then comes back to get another one, that he was trying to give, let Andy make extra money per day or something like that. <laughs> like I kind of missed, even though it's not subtle at all, but I missed this thing about um, his bunion that he says is like a banshee on the moors. <laughs> but <laughs> it's been reduced to a faint howl during these last minutes while Andy's been giving him a shoe shine. So obviously the shoe shine is giving him some sort of relief on his. <laughs> His bunion. <laughs> <laughs> you know why it's so funny, too, is because Ron Swanson is such a hard character and you slowly start to learn he has this like softer interior, like the soft inside. And I feel like this is a crack in his like manly front that we are constantly seeing. And there's definitely like totally. it's a lot of like 
<laughs> like classic, I would say, like cisgender guy on guy, like interaction where they don't know how to talk about what happens and then they just ignore it. And that clearly makes everything better. But yeah, so <laughs> if you want, I can describe this scene because I absolutely love it. Totally. So I think it's like the third shoe shine or something. Cause yeah, Ron keeps going back because he loves getting the shoe shine. It's like a little foot massage. And then the third time, <laughs> Andy's like kind of feeling weird. He's like, oh, he's back. Okay. And then Ron creates this extended awkward moan when Andy goes into <laughs> shine the shoe and they just kind of pause. And then Ron realizes what has happened. And Andy does too. And there's just this moment of, I don't know what to do about this. And then they just uh, abruptly leave. And then there's <laughs> there's a cut scene where Andy's being interviewed and he's just like, what the hell was that? And it's like, that was so uncomfortable. <laughs> but like, nothing is done. And then I'm pretty sure like Andy and Ron just keep trying to avoid each other at all costs. And it's just like an incredibly awkward moment. <laughs> I love it. I love the moan itself, too. I'll definitely add that to the clips for this episode. <laughs> mm, that's a good shoe shine. Ron is just so tight-lipped, and he's just, I don't know, it's like such a vulnerable moment for him, and then it's just hilarious. Totally. He the kind of guy you think would get embarrassed i think this is like one of the few times you know in the beginning where we see him like oh ron swanson makes mistakes ron swanson can have uh you know andy in this sense kind of has the upper hand because he didn't do the weird uh, social faux pas in this case and andy of all people is the king of social faux pas <laughs> it's just like such a role reversal oh my gosh it yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because the other thing that was happening in this was Andy was giving Ron special treatment, you know, like letting him cut the line and saying, hey, everybody, this is Ron Swanson and really looking up to him. So, yeah, you're right. Things totally. <laughs> you're right. It's totally like <laughs> Andy has the the hand, so to speak. He's, he's seen Ron that is most vulnerable and not just seen it, but like caused it thanks for leading the charge on that that section um, and we have another section here that's tom haverford related and and actually yeah this ends up showing a, a sensitive side in a way to tom haverford so part of his shield of uh, macho-ness is sort of taken down a peg not that um loving art is a non-macho thing but i think to him he's like he asks a student at the Pawnee school of arts university to make him some art that he can bring so he's just kind of like here i'll throw some money at you and you can make the spirit of pawnee and 20 here, give me 20 bucks <laughs> here just give me 20 dollars worth of art just something that seems personal that only i could have done well tell me about yourself no just paint that Makes me think, too, then of April Ludgate's artistic piece that she yes. puts together. And April is possibly my favorite character. Her just, I don't know, dark self and deadpan sarcasm just in such a bright and peppy contrast to, 
Leslie Nope, and yet Leslie loves her. And, you know, April loves her too, but it's just such a funny dynamic to me. But I love that she decides the spirit of Pawnee is to go searching in the dumpster for the materials <laughs> she will use for her piece. And she also does something that you find in a lot of newer art, I guess you could say, that a lot of people are a little confused by. And that's like the mixed medium of like you have a screen on your painting or your art piece and it's playing a looped video and hers is playing a looped video of knee surgery which is like (laughs) the most disgusting thing but if you ever listen to the way that they describe the town of Pawnee it really is like it's nice it's cute but there's like a lot of problems with it obviously this mural uh to start with so I kind of like the idea that April might actually have a pretty honest telling of Pawnee. It's just horrifying to look at. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, I think she created rats out of trash or something. And she just yes. had them at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think so she reminds me a lot of my best friend Penny. Penny was very deadpan. And Penny and I lived together. We had our first apartment together in Sacramento downtown. Um And we made art like that all the time. Or, you know, we were really into going and checking out the local art galleries. And the um, at that time in the 80s in downtown Sacramento, they'd have these kind of like renegade pop-up art shows. Or if there were storefronts that weren't occupied, you could occupy it for a month and have an art show, you know, in a gallery set up for like a month. And it was really cool. So she and I were... Oh my gosh, I guess we were like 18. And um, not only would we go, you know, feel so bohemian going and checking out all these (laughs) cool, edgy art shows, but then we were constantly creating stuff like this. And we definitely did a lot of dumpster diving and, and yeah, just like creating rats out of (laughs) garbage (laughs) should be something, lots of collage and and just exploring like what does what is art, you know, and like turning our <laughs> whole apartment into a rotating gallery of our weird <laughs> thoughts and stuff. So oh, I definitely. really appreciate that too. Yeah. And then um she ha- she makes a request that she'd like a human sized hamster wheel next to the mural <laughs> with someone running in it yeah. constantly. <laughs> it's like yeah, hamster wheel, like never getting anywhere parks department you know and trying to make that playground a hat like a thing that's happening like to me it just like kind of all like stems back to you know what it is and even going back to like tom's painting it's like at you know at first glance the show is like a very light-hearted comedy but it's making a lot of commentary at the same time so the more you look at it and analyze it the more the shapes seem to make sense <laughs> i love it i love everything you're observing in this episode i knew you'd be the perfect guest to have for it <laughs> For my mural, I was inspired by the death of my grandma. You know, I love talking about murinals. That's another thing that this is part of what we get to learn is that Jerry is a very good artist. At least, you know, this, what he proposes is his his murinal is gorgeous. Like individually, um, (laughs) individually, like think about the amount of time this poor man put into this mural 
he individually somehow got pictures of every single citizen of Pawnee. <laughs> I really like that they that they call Leslie on hers too because she decides to that her mural is the day we lost <laughs> a lot of good bread that day. The day of the bread manufacturing fire or however they call it, you know, we're they lost bread and they also lost, um, you know, several human lives as well. Yeah, but, my but, favorite yeah. my favorite quote was, what was it? She's like, the air smelled like toast. Uh, that's some described as deliciously haunting. Or it's like something like that. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, the town smelled wonderfully of toast and it was like... <laughs> Haunting and (laughs) disturbingly enticing. (laughs) But yeah, I think her, you know, she pulls that up after several other people have brought in their ideas and she says it's our history and people love voting for tragedy, you know, and that Mm -hmm. is like, it's like she compares it to a Holocaust movie or something. And I think that is, yeah, (laughs) they're like, yeah. uh, it's yeah, Anne says, and and Anne is so wise, you know, and she's yeah. like, it looks like you're exploiting tragedy. Yeah, that's a, a Leslie's little thing there, where she's just like willing to take it to the next level. Yeah, it doesn't even she goes, if it's not like Leslie very goes, tasteful. Yeah, Leslie, like oh, you get it. <laughs> I knew you'd get it, right? Anne. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, and then Donna's. So yeah, like it's such a yes. like. <laughs> I don't even know. Like that one, I like I so I don't know a lot about the famous people of Indiana, but it, to me it fits Donna's personality that she'd want to show off like the celebrities that and the like the fabulous totally. people from Indiana. So she creates the last supper painting and then she just replaces the heads with people from Indiana and then they argue about this one actor who I don't know, but <laughs> might may or may not have been in the ER, and then he may or may not oh, have been. Oh, Greg Kinnear, yeah, <laughs> Greg Kinnear, and they're like, "Are you sure that's Greg Kinnear?" And then they're like, "I don't know." And they made of all the people, that one is Jesus. And then like <laughs> Donna puts in her friend at one point. It's like, <laughs> oh, I love that. One of the things that they that was interesting in Sacramento was that, and I know this is a place that also was other places but especially in sacramento since it was born there was tower records and there's so many creative people that worked at like the tower records and the tower books and all the different towers that were in sacramento and so when i was younger and had first moved to sacramento it was like a very coveted thing because like all the coolest people with the weirdest hair and the most piercings and <laughs> most interesting clothing you know all the artsy weirdos worked at tower but not only was working behind the counter just a cool thing where you could be here pointing people to the cool you know records and all that kind of stuff but there were also employees that were other you know musicians so like creative people worked there and it was a creative job and some of those people were the ones that did like paint the murals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rotating artwork that was in the stores, which is kind of hard to imagine now, but that that was like a real thing where like every month or so, the latest releases of albums, if anybody remembers albums <laughs> proper, were like they would paint the artwork from those like hand paint the artwork and have that up and so you could go to tower and you would see hand painted you know murals 
of the um, you know album covers or the promotional material, like hand lettered, hand painted, and all that. And it would be by employees of Tower. So that was like, um, oh, wow. it felt like a really creative space, you know? Yeah. What is that? This is our entry for the mural contest. We couldn't decide on one design, so we took parts that we all liked of our designs, and then we just kind of smushed it. Yeah, so then they shove all of theirs together, and yeah, I see I'm looking at it now, a still of it, and there is some of that um, artwork of the abstract art, and uh, <laughs> and a dog, and Michael Jackson holding Greg Kinnear, and <laughs> a little bit of everybody's oh. <laughs> stuff there, and then... <laughs> <laughs> I love your evil laughter right now. <laughs> Leslie tries to act like it's really good, but her face betrays her. And, and so she runs to Mark Brandanowitz to see if he'll make something and basically manipulates him into making a piece of art that's very neutral and very safe. Ron Swanson walks by it and is like, yeah, I like it. And Brandanowitz is the one that marks this as the camel. So it's the camel idea. I'd never heard of this before. Had you? Neither had. No, I hadn't. I hadn't. A camel is a horse designed by committee. So it, it ends up being just a big nothing because it's everybody trying to put together, which actually reminds me. Did you, were you ever, um, a 30 rock watcher i dabbled in it but i don't know like a lot about it so there's an episode where jack donaghy comes down to talk with the writing team because he's in a pickle so so not only does he run the entertainment section which is the you know the the television entertainment but he's also responsible for the microwave division (laughs) of of the you know huge umbrella corporation that runs 30 rock so he goes down to the writer's room and gives them this huge task of making a new um, microwave and as they talk about it you see them you know basically like a um, montage of them figuring out you know different things that would make it handy and oh it could be portable and oh you could do this oh you could do that and over time it ends up that they add wheels to it and then like uh, a cup holder and (laughs) and then all of a sudden as they step back they realize they've just created a car Yeah, then the other thing to to notice here is everybody in the gang, you know, they've been working on this all day and they're really getting discouraged because the creative project that Leslie was so gung-ho on in the beginning about them all, you know, contributing to has become just something that Mark whipped up that is just kind of a guy, an old guy, possibly Martin Landau, according to... Oh, to Donna. Yes. <laughs> this is a good pull. <laughs> but yeah, just an old guy just sitting in the park, feeding the birds. You know, it's just very neutral and safe. And everybody else is really bummed. You know, it's it's going to it'll be a winner. Everybody's disgruntled about it. What do you think about Leslie's leadership style in this, at least today's episode? In this episode, I I think there's this very fine balance within Leslie between I want to have a great department 
and I love people. And then that whole like, I want to elevate this. I want to be able to have said that I really contributed and like the like, like, cause parks, the parks and rec department winning would be her winning. So especially in this case, like I think if they had, you know, made the camel and the camel won, she would be really happy. But at the end of the day, I think it is kind of more of a more of a Leslie centered moment. So when she realizes everyone is clearly going to fail, I was surprised that she didn't. I thought a direction they might have gone is that she would have either pretended that the camel would have happened and then she was just going to submit her version because usually she doesn't let go of stuff that she's created. Like she thinks it's pretty great and she didn't submit hers. She just went ahead and got rid of it, which I guess still shows that she kind of cared what her team thought. But I think she followed her heart in the wrong way. I think she wanted the best for the department and she wanted them to win, but it ended up kind of being not that great. So I don't know. I feel like she is a good leader on the whole though. But yeah, I think when you have your ambitions and then you have to like, you know, not step on toes, I think that can get really tricky. And I thought that was a really great episode to kind of show that battle you can kind of have sometimes when you have to do that. Yeah. And I think that's what makes her character interesting is it's just not cut and dry. She's always weighing her options and and figuring things out and moving forward and she's going to make the bold decision and and go for the the most boring safe thing yeah (laughs) but then when push comes to shove she is now waiting here waiting to submit their um idea so then leslie gets to see the chief of the fire department and he's hanging out with his the rest of the fire department and he's showing her their artwork which is your basic dogs playing poker but it's your basic dogs playing poker but with an everything's on fire theme and this is my nephew over here Mm. and uh this is an attractive lady with a hamburger for a head just some stuff we like you know so yeah leslie grabs the crazy camel mess grabs the parks department and they all you know, go in and submit it together. And this is where we get to see everybody sort of like rooting for each other, which I love. Yes. Yeah. And then they all start laughing. (laughs) (laughs) I think this episode really resonates with me too, because I did a lot of team leading as a coffee house manager. And I always tried to be a little bit of like, somebody that was, you know, yes, let's all work together. And, you know, let's uh, highlight everybody's talents. And, you know, but then I would just get so frustrated, because then I'd get taken advantage of or, you know, employees would be running late. And I, I did have a lot of creative employees at, you know, coffee houses. And I remember one of them being like, you know, not showing up on time and me calling him and him saying like, oh, I just got really into painting, you know, and like he was a painter and he had lost, lost himself in his <laughs> piece of art that he made. And I remember feeling so like kind of torn on that of like, oh, but this is your job and this pays the bills and I have somebody else that needs to go. And, you know, I just get so frustrated, but I've always loved working with creative people. And that's just one of those things where you have to like kind of cram yourself into a job but yes. but you know still try to pursue your art at the same time and i really 
Uh, it took me years to really, you know, gain like good leadership skills through a lot of trial and error um, in in establishing how to make it fun, but still have the place, you know, clean and secure by the end of the night. Yeah, yeah. But I think, yeah, the two salient points here at the end is, uh, are to me anyways, and you can comment your way, but one is that they they decide to put up their camel in their office and and put a sign up that says, by us. And everybody's clapping and everybody's just like enjoying having, you know, worked on it together. And, and that will be a symbol for the rest of the series. You know, that artwork will be up for the rest of the series, always in the background as, a, you know, a pivotal little clincher of, of the, the unit. And then... Um, after that, then we get Haverford's trying to get this guy to make him more <laughs> art at the art school because he's been so moved by this thing. <laughs> he's just like, it's not the same. And then he keeps throwing it down. And he's like, another one. And he just keeps throwing money. And the guy's like, um, you know, I have assignments. He's like, go create the art. <laughs> Why don't we finish off this episode? And thank you so much for joining me. And I'd love to have you back for sure. What is it that you do these days? We mentioned the podcast, but um, in case you're new to listening to the podcast, in episode 30 of Vibrant Visionaries, I straight up just said, Elaine, can I share one of your episodes? And you shared um, your episode on creativity and depression, uh, your episode of your podcast right in there. And I really appreciated it. And, and I got a lot of great response. So people can obviously find that on your podcast, um, but they can also find it by listening to episode 30 <laughs> of Vibrant Visionaries. But we're not here to talk about that. Let's talk about your podcast. Well, thank you. I love being here. And yes, I really want to come back for some more episodes. I think we already talked about some of the Chris Traeger ones, which I... I cannot wait to dive into that. So, ooh, a sneak preview. Awesome. Um, <laughs> everyone's on the edge of their seats. Um, so, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I am the host of Angus IT. If you say it quickly, it sounds like anxiety. Wow, I'm so crafty with words. But my podcast, I describe it as a comedy mental health podcast, which you would not normally think to put comedy with mental health because, you know, mental health, we're like, oh, gross. I'm like dealing with this. But uh, for me, if you can't tell, I only know one way to communicate, and it is with just vast amounts of humor, be it bad puns or just snorting laughter with myself, who knows. But I like to talk about my own personal experiences. I have anxiety and depression, and I had it for a very long time, and it was not diagnosed. So I have a lot of fun uh, stories to share, and I'll talk about different topics as well, like Heidi mentioned, creativity and depression. I occasionally have an astrologer on. I don't know. It's like all over the place, but I have a really good time and I like to share my experience because I found that when I was first anxious and depressed and I was trying to find information, I had a lot of clinical stuff out there that kind of felt distancing. And then there was this like extreme Pinterest side that was all fluff and face masks. And I was like, you know, face masks, like I can have great pores, but it's not going to like, there's a lot of internal stuff going on. So I just wanted someone who would like be real and just say like, Hey, this is what I'm experiencing and I didn't find it. So I decided that I would try to be it. So that is what Angus IT is. It's a comedy mental health podcast where we just talk about anxiety, depression, and other cheerful topics. I love it. Yeah, absolutely love it. And I really appreciate you putting that out there because yeah, adding 
humor and just having another voice and experience out there of people talking about what life is really like. And I don't know, it like helps us see the way through our hard times. I think when we realize that other people have similar experiences and, and even when I first started listening to podcasts, that was sort of a thing that helped me feel less alone and less depressed when I'd hear other just creative people talk about their experiences in life and their anxieties and ways of coping. So thank you for bringing all of that. And yeah, like like this show, like I think comedy can really help us deal with this stuff a lot better and like <laughs> talk about it in a way where it's okay to like laugh nervously about what's going on in life. Yeah, it's kind of like, like, I think to me, humor is a way to make something not seem so scary. So if I can tell you a past panic attack I had that in hindsight, I can now see the entire situation was hilarious. Like it could have been an episode of Parks and Rec. Then to me, um, it's like in Harry Potter, where they do the ridiculous spell on Boggarts who like become your biggest fear. And then when you do the ridiculous mm -hmm. spell, it turns into like the most weird, hilarious thing ever. And so to me, it's kind of taking maybe the enemy or your fear and kind of destigmatizing it. So like in this case, it's like the whole mural being like awful and you're like, oh my gosh, and you laugh about it. It's kind of like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's something I should probably pay more attention to. So because this was so outrageous, it made a reaction to me. But now it's not something that I feel like for some people, if they try to dive into something very serious, they get overwhelmed and then they get too afraid to like maybe try to learn about it or deal with it. So yeah, I think humor is a great way to kind of pierce the veil through that. Yeah, no, thank you so much for putting that all together uh, so succinctly. And thanks again for being on the podcast. And uh, I'm just gonna sign off here. So we'll let you know all everybody I'll let you know on the socials what episodes are coming up. Thanks, everybody for joining us. And um, we'll see you next time. Ciao. All right, everybody, that's a wrap on Elaine Best. And our next episode of Parks and Recreation that we'll be discussing is episode 13 of season two. That's 13 of season two. And it is a goodie. So stay tuned for that episode and conversations with filmmakers that I interviewed for Fantastic Fest. You can find everything at VibrantVisionaries.com and you can find me at HeidiBennett.com. And uh, thanks again to David Smith for editing this episode and we'll see you next time. Ciao for now. In April, yours was hellish and might make someone vomit. Thank you. There's something about those shapes. There's some emotional art right there. Any kid could do that. No kid could do that. Only God could do that. What is so great about the shapes?